BC's Energy Regulator is investigating coastal gas link after two spills were discovered under the Morris River. Hockey Canada has solved its sexual assault problem, gets its funding back. Canada's Corporate Responsibility Ombudsman has completed zero investigations since it was founded in 2018. And a Canadian Pacific train has derailed in Maine. Good morning. It is Monday, April 17th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, to the Morris River in northern British Columbia. Coastal GasLink has reported two spills of clay lubricant that happened while tunneling under the Morris River to build their natural gas pipeline. Coastal GasLink said that they don't know how big the spills were or why they happened. They said that the clay that spilled is non-toxic and they don't expect to, there to be an impact on fish or waterways. CBC News' unbylined article explains that the clay, called bentonite clay, is, quote, fine particulate slurry used to install a pipeline in the tunneling process, unquote. The BC Energy Regulator is investigating. The Morris River is critical for the Wet'suwet'en, who eat salmon from it and drink its water. The fight that land defenders there have mounted against Coastal GasLink is to stop exactly these kinds of incidences from happening. Tunneling under a river is not without its risks, and if bentonite clay can spill from tunneling, well, what happens when the line springs a leak of natural gas near the salmon spawning grounds? Next to national news, Hockey Canada has had its funding fully restored. Back in May, they lost federal funding because scandals swirled around a woman who alleged she had been sexually assaulted by eight players, including members of the World Junior Team. They were also dealing with other sexual assault allegations that involved the 2003 World Junior Team, and it was revealed that they were using a fund called the National Equity Fund to pay for sexual assault claims. Hockey Canada has paid out at least $12 million for sexual assault cases since 1989. Here is what Hockey Canada needed to do to get their funding back. And these points were pulled from the agreement by the Canadian press. They needed to become a signatory of something called abuse-free sport and the Office of the Sport Integrity Commissioner. They need to review and implement recommendations from an independent governance review led by retired Justice Thomas Cromwell. And they need to commit to more frequent reporting to the federal government. Despite having no permanent board and no CEO, they, I guess, have done these things. They're getting a new board and CEO in November who are supposed to change the governance policies. In case you're wondering, there are still police investigations that are ongoing that Hockey Canada is involved in. You might wonder why this was announced on a lazy April Sunday afternoon. Well, it was right before the women's team played the U.S. in the gold medal game for the Women's Hockey Championship. Talk about spin. I wonder if any of the women on that team will try and do a group sexual assault after the game. Unlikely, as the culture in women's hockey is different than men's hockey. But if this announcement had been made just before the World Juniors were in the gold medal game, people would be crying foul. Anyway, with so little in the article about what Hockey Canada actually has done to address sexual abuse within hockey, the whole thing reads more like spin. 
Minister for Sport Pascal Saint-Ange said the most liberal thing ever, which is to use words but not actually say anything with meaning. This is what the Canadian press quoted her as saying when she explained why they were getting their funding back. Quote, when we suspended the funding for Hockey Canada, it was never a matter of doing it forever. It was so that the proper change was implemented in the organization. I set three conditions for them. They've met those three conditions, and now we're reinstating that funding. But it's not a blank check. I don't know, Pascal. I bet it's a blank check, considering that two of those things were just to commit to things, and the third was to implement recommendations that I doubt could be implemented in such a short period of time. Anyway, Hockey Canada, back to operating as normal, and the next time that some sort of scandal breaks about sexual abuse within the organization, I don't know. Will they lose their funding again? We'll have to wait and see. Next, an investigation by Tavia Grant at the Globe and Mail has found that a watchdog that Ottawa had created to look at overseas corporate abuses by Canadian companies has not completed a single investigation. The office was created in 2018, and it was part of the Liberals' platform promise in the previous election. Grant went to Peru, to the part of the Amazon that lies within Peru's borders and where international companies have been extracting oil for years. The story starts off with an image of Huayori Creek glistening with an oil slick, petroleum that threatens the waters used by the Quechua, Achuar, and Quechua indigenous people. They use the water for everything from cleaning to eating. Grant talks with Nathaniel Sandy from the village of Jose Olea. Sandy's job is to report oil contamination for an indigenous federation. This area of Peru, almost 1,000 kilometers south of Lima, had been picked over by petroleum companies since the 1970s. Most recently, Canada's Frontera Energy Corporation took over in 2015, and since their service contract expired in 2021, the lot has been dormant. Frontera operates in Colombia, Ecuador, and Guyana as well. Grant explains the Liberals created something called CORE, the Canadian Ombudsman for Responsible Enterprise. They have never completed an investigation, and their office costs nearly $5 million per year. It's no secret that Canadian companies operate like total shortheads around the world. I can't remember this podcast plays on radio stations subject to the CRTC, so there you go. Here is what Grant said, quote, the globe has recorded more than 50 instances in 30 countries in the last five years alone, based on media reports, NGOs, academic reports and legal documents. The majority involved the mining sector, but they are also in the oil and gas manufacturing and apparel industries. I encourage you to read Grant's investigation. It is excellent. It is long. It is detailed. And it's wonderful that the Globe and Mail funds this kind of journalism. Grant talks with locals about the way in which environmental poisoning has impacted their community's health. She also looks closely at the Ombuds Office. The first Ombudsperson for CORE is Sherry Mayerhofer. Mayerhofer worked in oil and gas for 17 years, including at the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers back in the 1990s. She told The Globe that her office is handling 15 complaints right now. But if you were to guess what kind of complaints these are, you would probably be wrong unless you were operating with incredible cynicism. So of the 15 complaints that her office is currently stick handling, I can't even say investigate and I'll get to that in a second. 13 are related to the Xinjiang region in China over forced labor and two in Bangladesh related to low wages. 
I mean, isn't that a funny way for Canada to push its foreign policy with nearly half of all mining companies in the world owned by Canadians? How is it that 13 of 15 active cases are all about forced labor allegations in Xinjiang? That doesn't make any sense, although partly it might be because advocates are discouraging people from wasting their time even complaining to CORE. The United Steelworkers Ken Newman expressed regret for having been present supporting the launch of the Ombuds office when it was launched in 2018. Now that he's seen how useless it is, he regrets having been part of that. One key problem, though, is that the government never gave the Corps the ability to investigate. They pulled it out of its mandate. In July 2019, the 14 members of Corps' advisory board resigned en masse. The human rights agencies and unions that had been on the advisory board said that they lost confidence in the government's commitment to international corporate responsibility. Anyway, this piece is excellent, and you should spend some time with it if you have the chance. And if you're wondering how close the Canadian government might be to the mining, oil, and gas sectors of our companies around the world, here is a pretty clear indication. Grant mentions, of course, that mining company lobbyists had been lobbying the core in the last couple of years. And now to Maine, where a Canadian Pacific freight train derailed and caught fire this past weekend. The Associated Press is reporting that there were some hazardous materials on the train, but didn't say what they were. Although these cars were not derailed, the three cars that left the track were carrying lumber and electrical wiring. CP is leading the cleanup, salvage and repair efforts. The preliminary cause of derailment was melting ice and debris, though considering how long we've had rail in North America and that rail has operated in the spring without every single train being derailed at this time of year suggests that there was probably a missing safety regulation at play. Or that's just my guess. Those are your headlines for Monday, April 17th. We have a whole week ahead of us, folks. Make good use of this week. I hope that you are ready to go for today. I hope that you did get some time off this weekend, or maybe today is your day off. And if that's the case, well, spend it. uh, I don't know. It's not sunny out here. It's really, really dreary. So maybe, I don't know, play a game or do a crossword puzzle. Have a good Monday.